You are listening to a sermon of Cornerstone UIC, a gospel-centered community on mission for our campus. I really want to say good morning, everyone, but um, it's not the morning. How's everyone doing today? All right, that was a very, like, a few people are doing a little bit moderate all right, enough to give me a pity-woo. How's everyone doing today? This is your first time here. I'm so glad that you are here. You're uh, welcome among us. My name is Nate. I'm the pastor here. And um, we are in the second um, message on a new book that we're starting this semester. The book of... Acts. Let's go. Let's go. Um, And did you just say that in another language, Joelle? Yes, I did. Which one? Echos. Echos. What do you What do you got? How do you say acts? Um, Manuel, you totally looked away from me. Like you were, it was like that was a very intentional looking away. H O C. Well, let me pray for us, and we would love to begin. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come and meet us, even as we talk about you. Increase a hunger and a yearning for you. And as we hunger more for you, would you satisfy us even far more? So come, Holy Spirit, we ask this in your name. Amen. Last week, we talked about the book of Acts. And the main point uh, that I said last week is that the book of Acts is all about Jesus. Uh, Acts is a two-part book. The first book um, uh, was written by a man named Luke, and it was called Luke. Luke. Nailed it. There we go. Uh, And then this one is also written by Luke, and it's called Acts. And so in uh, Acts 1.1, it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, Luke is writing, he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. We talked about last week is what that means is that Acts is all that Jesus continues to do and teach. That Luke was all about Jesus building and bringing the kingdom of God. And Acts is all about Jesus building and bringing the kingdom of God. And the watershed moment, what transforms the book of Luke to the book of Acts, is this reality that Jesus ascends to the Father. Right, that the book of Luke is all about Jesus bringing the kingdom of God while he was on earth. And there's what's said in Luke is that Jesus died on the cross, he rose again from the grave, and he literally, like, you know, floated up into heaven. But what that really means is he became king over all of the earth. And so, what Acts is all about is Jesus' kingly rule over all of the earth, and Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God from heaven. Now, last week, I talked about an analogy that Jesus used of what it really means to bring the kingdom of God. And I used a mustard seed. You guys remember that? Right? It's like so brilliant. I came up with this idea of a mustard seed being the kingdom of God. I know. No. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 13. And he said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. What he means by that is mustard seed is a tiny, small, insignificant seed. You look at a mustard seed, it's not really impressive. I have no idea what a mustard seed is like, but I bet it's really small because everyone says it's really small. And yet, it grows into a really large tree. 
I would assume, because that's what everyone says. I've never seen a mustard tree. Anyone seen a mustard tree? Last week I said the same. Yeah. Audrey, really? Yeah. Where? Wow, is it big? A mustard seed, not a tree. You have a seed? I do. Where? This is amazing. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Yes, we grind the seeds. All right, here we go. Here we go, guys. All right, ready for it? This is a mustard seed. Can you where is it? It's right here. You can barely see it. It's so small. Look at it. There's tape over it. It's mustard seed. This is a mustard tree. Wow. of a mustard tree. It's much bigger in real life. I can't see it. Yeah, you can't, okay. No, that's a little bit. But this little thing becomes that. Everyone, Cassie, Cassie and Dave. Right, next, next time that you... Oh! Sorry, sorry. Cassie just um, wrote in there, said you're hopefully on the grace that will be brought to you. Jesus Christ, which... If you haven't been here before, I've made everyone memorize multiple times, so Cassie was trying to earn an A+, plus, which he got. Um, but here's why Jesus says it. It says, a tiny, insignificant seed, seemingly at first, that becomes something breathtaking in its finality, that gives shade to all those around it. In the same way, that's what the kingdom of God is like, is it's tiny, insignificant, and you don't even notice it at first. You kind of stumble over it, and yet in its final form, it is beautiful. In this, in this way, what Luke is all about is that the mustard seed begins, right? And it begins even in its most beautiful way at the cross. And unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. And actually, it's in Jesus' death on the cross that that seed opens up. And in his resurrection, it sprouts new life. And as Jesus ascends and reigns as king over all the earth, what he's doing is he's bringing the kingdom of God into greater life, and it's sprouting and giving new roots and a new place. And what we see in the beginning of Acts is we see that we're called to be witnesses of what Jesus has done in the past. We're called to be witnesses to his death and his resurrection, this historical fact. And what Jesus says, he's going to clothe us with power from on high, that in the present he'll be bringing the kingdom of God through us, through his Holy Spirit. And it also says that in the future, right, when he's literally floating into heaven as it says in Acts 1, there's two angels. We talked about this last week. And they look at the people looking at Jesus up. And they say, why are you so shocked and surprised? You know, He's going to be coming back in the same way that he's leaving now. There's this expectation that Jesus will come back. And when Jesus will come back, the mustard tree will be in its final, beautiful form. Thank you, David. Uh, <laughs> but in the meantime... Acts, well, it awaits that final form of the kingdom of God and looks back to how the kingdom of God began at the cross and the resurrection. Acts is all about this power from the Holy Spirit that comes in the present. 
It's about the power of the Holy Spirit that even sustains the plant as it brings new life, even when there's a scorching sun and there's winds and there's other uh, thorns that are coming up to prick whatever the, I don't know, horticulture, but bad things happening to the plant, the Holy Spirit is sustaining it even still. And so what we're looking at today is kind of, in many ways, the, the most important moment of the book of Acts. But even far more than that, it's one of the most significant moments in all of the scriptures, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because this isn't just something that Jesus said, I'm going to clothe you with power from on high. This is something that there had been anticipation for throughout all of the scriptures. You guys want to look at this? Yeah. Good, good, because we're going to do it anyways. <laughs> right? See, if you look in the Old Testament, all the books that were written before the biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, there's this anticipation that this Spirit of God <coughs> will fill all people. I love this. There's a guy named Moses, and one of the things that he says, I can, you can kind of almost see him kind of just frustrated. He's like, man, are you guys jealous for my sake? Would that all the people of the Lord were prophets, that the Lord would put his Spirit on them? He's kind of saying like, oh, I just wish, I wish everyone had the Spirit of God. See, what we see in the Old Testament is that the Spirit of God is present, that there is this God, and that He has His Spirit, and that His Spirit empowers His people for specific tasks. Right? In the Old Testament, there's some weird tasks that the Holy Spirit enables for. Like, there's this temple that's being built by the people of Israel, and it says that there's this one man, like Eleazar, or Eliphazar, something like that, who is equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually have this artistic beauty for the temple. Right, that, that people are filled with the Holy Spirit for specific tasks, but there's this longing for a time when all people will actually receive the Spirit of God. And I love when the Old Testament speaks about the Spirit, because it doesn't speak about it in this logical, straightforward, dogmatic way, but it speaks about it poetically. Right? It speaks about it with images, because there's no other way to best describe the new creation, the new life that the Spirit brings than in this artistic beauty, right? Hear this from Isaiah, when he says, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. There's going to be a time when the Spirit's going to come, and this great wilderness will become a fruitful field, and then one day it will even become a forest in its beauty. There's this image that is given to the prophet Ezekiel who imagines the temple in Jerusalem being filled with water, living water. But it's living water that flows out from the city and literally covers the whole earth. And it's this promise of the living water of the Spirit that will come down. And even in Joel, it says this specifically. It says, It will come about that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my male and female servants, young and old, man and woman, will receive this Spirit of God that will cover the earth like the water from the temple going out all over. That will be like a wilderness of a field becoming a place where plants grow and a forest come. That's what the Spirit of God will be like. And as we continue, we see that immediately Jesus' ministry is connected with this time when the Spirit will come. Right, John the Baptist, you guys know John the Baptist? Crazy dude. 
Thanks, Tommy. You knew what it meant. John the Baptist, great dude, ate locusts, ate wild honey, was kind of by himself, smelled really bad, no one really wanted to go near him, but spoke really boldly about stuff. And one of the things he said is, hey, don't worship me, don't think I'm awesome, because there's going to be someone who's going to come after me, who is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And actually, Jesus later on says, John, what he did was he literally dunked people in water. What I'm going to do is I'm going to dunk you in the spirit and in fire. Which is actually kind of scary when you think about that. And Jesus says right before this encounter happens that uh, Margie read today, he says, wait in the city for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Right? Jesus actually had so much of his ministry talking about this promise filled with this prophetic anticipation that the Old Testament had about the Holy Spirit to come. Right, one day, Jesus actually, he stands in this temple in Jerusalem. Guys, you know I get to go to the temple in Jerusalem in like two months again. I can't wait. There's literally still a temple in Jerusalem. And I just, it's fun to walk where Jesus walked. But Jesus one day stood up in the temple in Jerusalem, this place where Ezekiel had a vision that waters would come out and cover the whole earth. And when there were all these people present, Jesus stood up and said, whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John writes, he said this about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. There's this reality that the Spirit will be given, but first the mustard seed needs to crack. First, Jesus needs to be glorified on the cross. First, the seed needs to die in order for the new life to come forth. And he says, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow those rivers of living water that Ezekiel wrote about. He says this in John 15, but when the helper comes, whom whom I will send to you from the Father, okay, get that, right? Jesus says, I'm going to send you the helper, by the way, helper is Holy Spirit whom I will send to you from the Father. There's this reality that Jesus is going to wait to give us the Holy Spirit until he is with the Father, reigning as King, ascended. And when the Helper comes, when he sends the Holy Spirit, reigning as King, he says that um, the Spirit will bear witness about him. This reality that there's this connection between the Spirit and Jesus, and the Spirit is always going to be bearing witness about who Jesus is. And in John 16, what he says is kind of crazy. He says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I love Jesus. I tell you, if Jesus walked through that door, right, that, like, I don't know, five, eight-foot Galilean man 2,000 years ago, so be really, really old. But anyways, like if I saw that, two, if I was there, I was with Jesus, and he were to, anyway, well, if he were here, and he were to come and preach, I don't know about you, I would just, I could, I don't know anywhere I'd rather be than with Jesus and in his presence. I just want to follow him wherever. I, I want to be with Jesus. For him to tell me, hey, I'm going to go away. It's to your advantage I leave. I'm like, you're crazy. I want to be with you. 
I want you flesh and blood. I want to see you. I feel sometimes like, I just want to see Jesus. I want to be like those disciples. I want to have actually seen him with my eyes. I want to have felt his hands. And he's saying, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. John 14, he says this, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. For when I go to the Father, I will send my Holy Spirit, and when my Holy Spirit is sent upon you, greater works will you do than what I have done here. That's what Jesus says. If that doesn't blow your mind, you didn't hear what I said, so let me say it one more time. Jesus says, when I go to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and when I send the Holy Spirit, you're going to do greater things than what I did. By the way, Jesus walked on water. Right? By, by the way, Jesus rose from the dead. By the way, Jesus rose other people from the dead. Greater works than these will you do when I go to the Father, because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. Okay? One of the analogies I often use on this that makes a little bit of sense to me why it's better that Jesus would actually send his Holy Spirit than be present now is if you think about, like, if you think about LeBron James. Think about Steph Curry. Who's been following the All-Star game? All right, three people just raised their hands, guys. <laughs> Who knows what's happening with the NBA All-Star game? Raise your hand. Thank you, okay. A th- really? Like, two-thirds of you have no idea what's happening to me. It's cool. It's new. It's different. Who has heard of Watergate? It's a National Basketball Association. Zach, do you not know what's going on? Pacers? There's no Pacer All-Star, so Indianapolis. So Steph Curry and LeBron James drafted the NBA All-Star team. They, they, everyone stopped watching the All-Star game after like, they put up 200 points like the Western points. Anyways, so, so Steph Curry and LeBron James are the coaches this year. Right? Can you imagine if Steph Curry was your coach? Like, How much better basketball do you think you'd get if Steph Curry was your personal basketball coach? I would assume you get better. But then I think about it, and I'd be like, no, I don't know how much better I'd get. Because I feel like Steph would just say, like, yeah, just shoot it like this. Like, it just, and I'd be like, I'm doing what you're doing. I just, like, I just can't do what you're doing. I can't make a three every single time. Right? There's a huge difference if Steph Curry were to say, I'll be your coach, versus if Steph Curry could say, I'll play through you. Right? And what Jesus is doing is he's not just wanting to be our coach and to tell us what to do. He's actually literally wanting to play through us. When he says, greater works than these will you do when I send the Spirit, what he's saying is, my Spirit will be in you. You will be empowered to do the works that I do when I send my Spirit to you. The Spirit in the book of Acts is not identified just as this crazy being. It's called the Spirit of Jesus. Where is Jesus? He sees it in us. He is very much in us. He is empowering us. He is moving in us. I'm getting ahead of myself. Jesus says, I will clothe you in power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I will empower you. Greater works will you do. It's better if I go away to the Father because then I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And what happens? What did Margie read about? 
shared, okay, there's 120 people gathered together in this room in Jerusalem. By the way, you can excavate rooms in Jerusalem and they can fit 120 people just if you're curious. Who was curious? I won't say that again. Oh, thank you guys, thank you. 120 people, men and women, gathered together, praying, actually being obedient to Jesus who said, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit that will come upon you. And as they're waiting, all of a sudden there's this sound like a mighty rushing wind. And there's divided tongues as of fire that begins to rest on them. Can you imagine divided tongues as of fire? Because I don't know what a divided tongue is. And I've never seen a tongue on fire. So if you can actually imagine that, that's amazing. But it's this mighty rushing wind sound. It's this supernatural Stop laughing, guys. Is this super, super... This supernatural reality of God actually coming in. And as people begin to encounter the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak the mighty works of God. God, you are great. God, your steadfast love endures forever. God, you have never failed us. God, you parted the Red Sea. God, and they begin to speak all of this. And as they're speaking it, they go out into the streets as the Spirit leads them. And what's crazy is what they're speaking is actually not their own language, but all the languages under heaven. And at this time, it's the day of Pentecost, one of the four major feast days or five major feast days of the Jewish festival. And what Jewish people did gathered throughout the Roman Empire is they all came onto Jerusalem near the temple at those major feast gatherings. And what they spoke was they spoke a little bit of Hebrew to all get around, but they also had their own heart language depending on what region they were from. And what happened when these 120 men and women came out proclaiming the mighty works of God is they heard those words, those works of God in their own heart language. And it was weird. Because they looked at them and they thought, wait, these people don't speak my language. They're not from where I'm from. These guys are all from Galilee. They're not very smart in Galilee. What is happening? And so when any supernatural work of God happens, the first thing we want to do is explain it quite naturally. So some people are amazed. And some people want to explain it naturally. And they're like, okay, they just bought some new version of Jack Daniels. And that new version of Jack Daniels is really strong. And I don't know what happened, but something is happening. And Peter stands up, and he said, no, no, we're not drunk. You crazy? It's 9 a.m. <laughs> no, what's happening to us right now is exactly what has been the anticipation of all of our people. What's happening to us right now is exactly what Joel prophesied when he said, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants, all people will receive the Spirit of God. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what's happening right now. It finally happened. The Holy Spirit came. And so what does it mean? What is the present work 
of the Holy Spirit, because as the Holy Spirit came at the day of Pentecost, the next thing Peter says later on is he says, repent, believe, be baptized, or repent, be baptized, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of us who repent of our sins, who turn to Jesus Christ as Lord, who are baptized, are promised that filling of the Holy Spirit just as true for those people at the day of Pentecost as for us in this room right now. So what is the present work of the Holy Spirit? What's the promise of the Holy Spirit? What are these rivers of living water that flow out? What is this wilderness that becomes a vegetation place and eventually a forest? Well, here's some things that we see right away. Is we see the Holy Spirit empowers for evangelistic proclamation. The Holy Spirit empowers us to talk about the witness of the cross and the resurrection. The Holy Spirit empowers us to encounter God radically. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens when he's filled with the Holy Spirit is he literally sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, the Father. The Holy Spirit does bring about signs and wonders because the Holy Spirit belongs to heaven, the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit is actually bringing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, into this world that we are in now. The Holy Spirit is bringing the new life and vegetation from the kingdom of God into this barren wilderness that we live in now, and miraculous signs and wonders do happen. Visions and dreams come to us. Prophetic words come over us. We see in Galatians 5 that the Holy Spirit also empowers us for living like Jesus. That if we live by the Spirit, that we'll live lives that are filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The only way, by the way, you can ever be self-controlled is by letting an outside person in your body control yourself. Think about that. But I'm serious. Think about that. You can be self-controlled when you give control to the Holy Spirit, who empowers you to be self-controlled. The Holy Spirit also in the present is dwelling within us and empowers us with skills for building up the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is building up the kingdom of God now. And it's said actually in Ephesians 4 that when Jesus ascended, literally there's this picture of him giving gifts to all of his church. Gifts to build up the body. Not all of us has every gift to build up the body, but some of us are an arm, some of us are a leg, some of us our eyes. Some of us have gifts of teaching. Some of us have gifts of encouragement. Some of us have gifts of seeing actually what is supernaturally really happening. Some of us have gifts of musical worship. Some of us have gifts of whatever the gifts. The Holy Spirit actually gives each one of us gifts and it's said to be indispensable for the body of Christ. What we know the Holy Spirit does is he also helps us when we pray. When we don't know how to pray as we ought, Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayer. He makes our prayer acceptable to God. We in our barren wilderness, when we can't find a way to actually encounter God, the Holy Spirit from God, the Spirit of Jesus, who is himself God, actually makes our prayer acceptable to God. He helps us. There is so much that the Spirit does in the present, but I want to speak briefly here also about the future work of the Spirit. Because the Spirit is also called in Ephesians the deposit, the guarantee of our salvation. 
that is those of us who are filled with the Spirit now know that one day we'll be in that full mustard tree kingdom. If we're filled with the Spirit now, we know that we'll take this check and we'll one day cash it in at the bank on that last day and we'll receive the fullness of our inheritance. Right now, we're still in that growing tree, but one day we'll be in its final form and the Holy Spirit present with us now is our hope of that. The Holy Spirit is our living hope of our full salvation. So we set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us through our relationship then cast it. But how do we know where we belong on that day is the Holy Spirit in us now who causes us to hope for that. <laughs> when I think about UIC, I've often, you know, we pray for God to awaken UIC. We pray, we pray, and I Here's part of why we pray for that. It's because initially when Sarah and I moved up here, praying for God to do great things here in Chicago, there was a time when we were praying and we were um, at my apartment. And I've shared this uh, so many times to many different people. But we were I was kneeling on the ground looking over the city. And as I was praying, I heard the verse, Now if Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And I saw the cross of Jesus. And as I saw the cross of Jesus lifted high over the Sears Tower, it was like everyone in Chicago saw that cross too. That my neighbors were coming out of their house. That people at UIC were coming out of their dorms, coming out of their classes and looking up on the quad being like, what is happening? What is that cross? It was so attractive. People were so drawn to it. And it was at that moment that all the Christians came out and said, that's where I find eternal life. I just saw that cross given to a warmth of healing and new life to Chicago. And one day when I was praying as well for this, Sarah and I were actually at a, uh, a conference over at Church of the Resurrection, which is our cathedral church here in uh, Chicagoland. And um, I was on my knees again praying, and my, uh, our bishop, he actually came up to me while we were praying, and in the bulletin, Sarah had noticed, because we had just started praying for an awakening in the city, Sarah had noticed that it said Luke 1, 78 on that, which, by the way, was when Zechariah filled with the Holy Spirit was praying about the coming Messiah. And he said, Therefore, sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who walk in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. And I was just captivated by that verse. And as I was kneeling in the front of their sanctuary and I was praying, my eyes were closed, and all of a sudden I felt these hands on my head. They're the only person who I feel like I can comfortably trust to. <laughs> and as Bishop Stewart's hands came on my head, I just immediately felt like I saw a sunrise over the city of Chicago. But it wasn't coming from the east, it was coming from on high. And it was a sunrise that was trickling into every street, and it was trickling into homes, and it was coming into the locked doors where people were hiding, but it was a warmth. It was a sunrise of warmth. And just yesterday, uh, we were praying together, some of us over at Cornerstone Chicago. And as we were praying, uh, there was this woman, um, I just believe filled with the Spirit of God in that moment, who was praying for Chicago. And what she saw was she saw the sunrise and the cross happening at the same time, but instead of the cross just being lifted up over the city, the sunrise was actually coming by the cross being brought down into the city. 
just imagine the cross being brought down into UIC. That people were walking on the cross. That it was a well-worn cross. That people who would never normally meet each other met each other at the cross. See, the reality of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus isn't far away that we have to look up and look to, but Jesus has come so very near to us. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you looking really hard to try to find God? Are you trying to find a, a way that you can just get better, that you can just get freed? But you don't have to look very far to find God. The mystery is, is that He has come near to you. That He is present right here. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Holy Spirit is here at UIC. This place that, I don't know about you, does it feel like a wilderness here? I, I, can someone back me up on that? God can do something new. God can bring His kingdom here because His Holy Spirit is present. And where is His Holy Spirit present? In you. But here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. If you are in Jesus... If you believed in the cross and the resurrection, if you believe that Jesus has forgiven you of your sins, if you've repented and turned, if you've been baptized, you can be promised to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you are, it's like you have a Holy Spirit pressure inside of you. It's this living water pressure inside of you. One day I was walking in Pilsen. It was like three years ago and it was a hot summer day. And I was walking in Pilsen, and there were these kids who had uncapped the fire hydrant. And this fire hydrant was just blasting out water, and they were screaming and having the time of their lives. And all the neighbor, all, all of their parents were literally just like eating food and watching and kind of laughing. It was awesome. Pilsen's great. And um, and uh, as uh, as I saw that, I was like, huh? You see, the only that there's this pressure that's always in that fire hydrant. And all you have to do is release that cap and it flows out. See, it's interesting. Galatians 5 says this. The, the command isn't to try to find a way to get more Holy Spirit. There's never any place in the Bible that says, find a way to get that living water pressure and turn it up. The only command is, don't quench the Spirit. Because the reality is, we've been given... The Spirit of Jesus, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, literally. And there is this living water pressure, the Holy Spirit of God in you. And all that we need to do is be filled by the Holy Spirit, is release ourselves and give ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Actually, all we need to do is not quench the Holy Spirit, not put a cap over the Holy Spirit, not try to take control of our own lives, to come up with our own plans, to try to make it work by working so hard. What we need to do is just release it to the Holy Spirit. And greater works will He do in us than even when Jesus was around in Israel. So I didn't tell you that we were going to do something different, but I want to do something different. 
I'm going to tell you now, we're going to do something different. So what I want to do is I want us to split the partners. Just take someone uh, near you, and we're just going to take five minutes. I just want you to pray. Don't ask, what can you pray for? But just lay your hand on your friend, your newfound friend maybe, and just pray for them for the filling of the Holy Spirit that they would live filled with the Spirit of God. If this is your first time here, we typically don't do this. Um, thanks for being here. Feel free to do whatever is most comfortable for you. We're just so glad that you're here. But this is uncomfortable. Because when we actually pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, what we're actually asking for is, God, I don't want to be in control any longer. I want you to be in control. And that's uncomfortable. But it is powerful. So, Sam, can you just pluck the guitar a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> strum the guitar. And um, let's take five minutes, and let's just pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 